اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ پیس اینڈ بلیسنگز آف اللہ بی اپون یو ویلکم ٹو انادر ایپیسوڈ آف دی بریکفسٹ شو ہے آن دا وائس آف اسلام ریڈیو ٹوڈے از ونزڈے دی سیونٹینتھ آف جنوری ٹوینٹی ٹوینٹی فور ود مائی سو جہانگیر السلام علیکم ہاؤ یو ڈنگ دس دس چلی اینڈ بریزی مارننگ وعلیکم السلام و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ پیس بی پون یو ٹو آئی ایم فیلنگ گڈ ایکچولی نائس اینڈ کوز ہیئر ان دی آفس ان دا اسٹوڈیو سو ایم جسٹ لوکنگ فور ٹو انادر انادر گڈ ایپیسوڈ آف دا بریکفسٹ شو دس گڈ دس گڈ گڈ اسپرٹس گڈ اسپرٹس وی ٹاک اباؤٹ وی ٹاک اباؤٹ واٹس ہیپننگ ہیئر اینڈ دیئر وی ٹاک اباؤٹ واٹس ہیپننگ ان دا نیوز اینڈ آف کورس دا ویدر ایز ویل بٹ جسٹ ٹو گیو یو گائز اے لٹل بٹ آف اے فلیور وی گن بی ٹاکنگ اباؤٹ The main segments for today's show, we're going to be talking, we're going to continue this topic of the of the Palestine and Israel war. Today we're going to be talking about the ICJ, which is the International Court of Justice, and uh, the human rights laws also, which are, which are linked to that. Um, we're going to be talking about different things in regards to this, how the International Court of Justice, you know, is ruling... or is going to rule or give out their give out their statement and uh, whatever they say the the laws that they bring in or the 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 restrictions that they bring in or the boundaries that they put in place whether it's for whether it's for Israel or whether it's for Palestine they should be complying by that nevertheless you know it has you know it has happened before that the international court of justice has said something has laid down any has laid down a particular law or laid down something which both parties should have agreed upon but it has happened that nations states have not listened to that as well but the effects of that have been quite re- detrimental as well and we'll talk a little bit more about that during the course of the show that's the first segment and then after that we're going to be talking about the holy prophet of islam peace and blessings of allah be upon him when he came to the world how did that have an effect on the world what effect did he have onto the world it's quite a broad topic um and it's something which there is so much that can be said there is so much that can be said there is so much that can be heard there is so much that can be read in regards to this particular topic or any aspect of the holy prophet muhammad peace and blessings of allah be upon him's life and then it's something that uh, you know it is sort of a like a series other shows have done this other days have have talked have spoken about the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him but it's something that we're going to be continuing on this theme as well it's an interactive show if you want to get involved of course you can do so the number to call in as always is 0206877878 and we would love to hear from you in regards to this as well just talking a little bit more about the about the weather the bbc reports that today the far north will see snow um and uh, some he- you know some some heavy snow as well a few light snow showers in coastal areas of wales and northern ireland but cloudy in the far south with the risk of patchy rain brighton will be sort of bright elsewhere as well but tonight the far north will see snow showers and a a few snow showers may also edge into coastal areas of northern ireland Wales southwestern and north northeastern England but it will be dry with clear skies elsewhere tomorrow will be cold fine and dry for most however 
Some western coastal areas, Northern Ireland and the north of Scotland will see patchy cloud and scattered snow showers breezy in the far north. At the outlook for Friday into the weekend, Friday the south will remain dry and sunny, Scotland will turn cloudy though, and the west will see spells of snow gradually turning to rain as the day progresses. A milder day and also on Saturday that will turn to a little bit more milder as well. It will be wet and windy and the rain mainly affecting western areas but Sunday will turn very windy for for all pretty much and a band of heavy rain may sweep in the UK from from the west. <laughs> I was just hoping it's going to get nice and warm but none of that sounded uh, appealing to me. <laughs> it's just uh, going to yeah, be a bit more more rain, more wind. More At least rain, the temperature. Hopefully the temperature goes up because yeah. it's been really cold, hasn't it? I was looking it? at the temperature as well and it was saying that it's going to go to minus, uh, minus five where we are, which, is, which yeah. is in London. But in other places, right, it's going to go to minus 13. Minus 13. Might as yeah. well just live in Canada at this point. Might as well just live in Canada, <laughs> literally. But yeah. you know, it, it's it's weird because it's, it's uh, and a lot of people say this as well, that Whatever the temperature is, the actual temperature that it feels like is much colder. Yeah, it's very Especially, nippy, isn't it? It, it, it is. And it gets into your, it gets into under your skin, it gets into your bones. Yeah, it's difficult to explain. But if you compare sort of five degrees here and five degrees in mainland Europe, it's it is it is different. It's colder here. I think it's because we we left the EU, so we have the <laughs> we have the Brexit yeah, Brexit tax now. <laughs> Brexit tax, yeah. But maybe, I mean, yes, you, you do feel it. Like you go out for a walk, you do, and sometimes it's very deceiving. Like you, you know, it's very sunny. Yeah. But those temperatures out there, that wind, it just like yeah, straight gets, away. You can gets, feel it in your face, you can feel it in your ears, your nose, and your hands are just like freezing. So. Yeah. I've just been taking gloves around with me these last few days That's what you need. and I've got them with me now as well just in case when I do go back out yeah. because you just never know because it's, it's, never know, it's a lot colder than it than it seems it is it is I mean that's the that's the weather and hopefully hopefully it does get uh, like you said hopefully it does get a bit warmer now isn't it yeah Um. see you know some sunny spells, but which are actually quite yeah. quite warm as well. Yeah, but do we bring our umbrellas soon? You said it's going to be windy. It's going to be a bit windy. But it's going to be a lot of rain, but at the same time, very windy. So are we going to be like Mary Poppins flying around? Yeah. <laughs> <in the> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's the last thing you want, isn't it? Yeah. Your umbrella to, 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 to not work. <laughs> literally, literally. But hopefully, hopefully, you know, it does, it does get better. It does get warmer. But we are coming towards the, I mean, it is mid-January. And then yeah. towards you know February, a little bit, you know mid February might might be might be a bit better. Hopefully, hopefully. Can pray. Well, can it seems pray. like d- the December weather is coming now, so everything's kind of shifting forward a little bit. That's bit, true. Bit. That's true as well. What's happening in the news then? I think uh, from what I was looking at this morning, there's a lot of a lot of the the newspapers are leading with the attempts by the Tory rebels to amend the government's Rwanda asylum bill. And the Financial Times says that the um, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, his eventual victory over the rebels came at a high political price, with his authority shaken and vitriol now flying between wings of the Conservative Party. And it suggests that that Mr Sunak is calculating that rebel Tories won't risk sinking the bill completely when MPs vote on it on Wednesday because of the anger they'd face from their constituents. I think they wanted to basically toughen it up, didn't they? They like um, to make it harder for them to appeal against deportation, 
and also be uh, you know ban them and prevent them from appealing on on the basis of an international law um you know but then i, I think how, how many how many mp's were there about 40 or 60 i can't remember exactly how many there were um who were part of this uh, i think 60 tory 60, MP, yeah, 60. mp's rebel uh, yeah. rebelled but it's not it's not a, it's not a great outlook is it for great, with, you great. know with this year supposed to be um you know that of the elections as well um it just looks like they're just having more and more trouble and things just can't go right for mr sunak at the moment um they've had they've had a lot of mps uh, which have uh, which have withdrawn and a lot of uh, mps have lost their constituencies as well yeah and it seems as if this time maybe maybe the, the labor party might actually win but a lot of labor people who vote who people who vote for labor labor voters they they are also saying that you know they they don't want to they don't want to vote labor in uh, because the because the policies of uh, Sakia Starmer are not in line with what labor is all about and they say that Sakia Starmer is respectfully just another just a, you know just just another just another another Tory but uh, you know, in, because, disguise. In, in disguise in mm-hmm. disguise uh, and and that's uh, that that's quite interesting as well because if a lot of a lot of people who vote for Tories they're not going to vote for Tories anymore they're going to vote for something else and Labour Party is winning the majority in a lot of different areas which has been sort of unpre- unprecedented in recent times so it's uh, but still a lot of Labour voters are still saying that we know we do not we don't want to vote or we our views are do not align with the views of Sakir Starmer and the Labour Party, this Labour Party. It's quite interesting. It's quite interesting and to see what's, what's going to happen. Absolutely. You would uh, expect at least one government, or you would expect at least one party, when it comes to the war that, that we're facing right now, the war in the Middle East uh, against Israel and, and Palestine, you would expect at least one party to be against the war. Against the armament, against sure. sending bom- bombs there, against sending arm- uh, ammunition over there, and all of that, and having a ceasefire, being proactive in regards to that as well. But both parties are actually are actually for it, despite the fact that there are some MPs within the Labour Party, there are some MPs within the the Tory Party, the Conservative Party. They are still they are saying that you know we should have a ceasefire, we should have an immediate ceasefire, we should withdraw from all of these things from you know even more bloodshed it's but really, the actual yeah. party is not exactly I think that what's really what's really strange about it is how Keir Starmer mm. was a human rights lawyer he's worked as a human rights lawyer for a long right. time Yeah, and you know, he just sees what's happening in Gaza and like hmm looks like their rights are being fulfilled they're fine maybe we don't need to you know to take care of them mm. and stop you know stop the war and stuff and maybe they'll be okay so it's just like they they turn a blind eye. They turn a blind and eye. It's a double standard for me. Complete it's double standard, yeah. Compl- right. Uh, when it came when it came to the 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 Russia Ukraine war. Yeah. Which is still it's ongoing. So quick to condemn. It's so quick to condemn condemn Russia. Yeah. Because they're not part of uh, you know NATO as well, isn't it? Obviously, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of different uh, policies and it's, it's a government. It's it's a geopolitical war, but still very quick to call out on Russia. Yeah. Uh, where, where, when they're committing or when they committed war crimes per se, but when it comes to Israel, no one is no one is sort of ready to to actually do that. Talking yeah, about the Western, it, beca- it becomes a very difficult situation, difficult to explain. Yeah, 
complex. All yeah. these words start coming out. Yeah. But once it, if it's Russia doing something, turning off the you know the gas or something, then oh, war crime, war crime straight away. Well, exactly. But exactly. anyway, in, in other news, I think there's something um, which hasn't really been given much attention. Um, and the tele and the the daily sorry the Telegraph has actually reported that the former social mobility czar Catherine Birbal Singh, who the papers describe as Britain's strictest head teacher, yeah, is facing yeah, a high court case because of her ban on prayer rituals at her school. A Muslim pupil at the Michaela Community School in Northwest London says the rule is discriminatory, with reports that a number of students use their blazers to kneel on for prayers in the playground because they weren't allowed to use prayer mats. Mm. I mean, are we turning into France right now? Like, yeah, that's like the anything, last thing you re- want. anything religious like, is being banned now. So, I mean, what happened to freedom of expression, freedom of speech, freedom mm. of, uh, you know, expressing your, your religious affiliations? Normally, uh, normally you are allowed, though. You are allowed. Yeah. And, 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 and the teachers, the, the school... They don't say anything. They 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 in fact give you a facility. They give you a place, and that's how it should be. Yeah. That's how it should be. But for them to turn around and say no, you, you know you're not you're not allowed. You know, no one can actually no one can pray. We're not going to give you any place, and students have to go outside in the cold, despite mm. the fact that you know look at the weather as well. To to do that, that's uh, it's not it's not a nice it's not nice at all. And you're quite right. What about all of this freedom of speech, freedom of expression? the right to your religion as well, to practice your religion, to, to to participate in different activities. If you're peacefully just trying to pray, you're not literally harming anyone. Exactly. What's the what's what's the harm what's the harm in that? And this is for like when I say this, like as Muslims we believe that everybody should have the the freedom to express whatever religion they you know, they adhere to. Right. So, you know, this is a really bad precedent if it does um continue where it, it seems that this atheist is a kind of attack on all religions and this is something which is very dangerous because then mm. you know as the Quran even states that the danger of atheism is not just that they will try to wipe out Islam it's, it's all synagogues and Christ, uh, churches and and temples and mosques mm. as well mm-hmm. they will all be in danger people will not be able to express their their religious thoughts or the religious affiliations in a way that is uh, behoving of it. Mm, so, you know, exactly. this is hopefully like this is something which which um which gets overturned or the or the policies within that school and you know, people are able to then express themselves as and you know, to pray um at the times that as you said, without harming anybody, we're not they're mm. just peacefully doing their own prayers. Right. I don't see the 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 harm in that. Yeah. And that shouldn't be something which is um, looked down upon if, if at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. There was some other news as well in regards to regards to a new a new drug a new cancer drug, which can be kinder than chemotherapy. Some children have been given this uh, this this sort of treatment as well. Arthur, who's eleven years old, this is what the BBC reports, is one of the first to try it in a London's Great Ormond Street Hospital for his uh, for his blood cancer, mm-hmm. and his family called the therapy a a little bit of sunshine. Since she worked without making Arthur feel sick, um, you know, much sicker as well than than, than usual. Because yeah. Obviously, you know, chemotherapy, especially for youngsters, for for kids, it can be an unpleasant sight. It and, and because it could be given, we reports it be given on the go rather than just in hospital. He spent more than uh, more time at home with his family, enjoying what he what he loves, and uh, it's. It it is quite 
it is uh, it it is good to have different methods of uh, of treating different illnesses especially when it comes to cancer being one of the being one of the you know the leading the leading illnesses as well which can take one's life whoever get whoever gets it some t- 20 countries um sort of 20 centers around the UK are being used are using this as well yeah. and for children with B cell acute leukemia so that's B all and the the drug is actually it sort of seeks out the, the cancer cells so the body's own immune system can recognize and destroy it. a little bit oh, like uh, like homeopathy, homeopathy isn't it yeah uh, the, you know it sort of ignites whatever in the body to to create those antibodies to defeat the illness to defeat the disease and that's something which uh, I mean, if it works very well and good, because if it's less painful than chemotherapy, then then why not? I mean, we've seen how you see examples like you see if any friends or family who do go through chemo, you see how weak they become. Exactly, yeah. And and I'm sure it's a very grueling um, period to go through for them for the patients. it It is, and. It's all about weakening them, the you know their body down to that the you know the, the cancer also disappears, mm. um, and they can go through many rounds of this chemotherapy. So uh, yeah. if this if this drug really does help to alleviate that pain or that the, you know reduce the the pain in the process of um, recovery, then yeah. then it's a really bright light and hopefully a beacon for you know for many people who are suffering um, with, with cancer. Absolutely. And hopefully, yeah, let's so let's get this out. There's some some good bit of news. We don't yeah. normally read out a lot of good news, do we? So it's always some yeah. negative stuff which you know, hit the headlines. Yeah, but hopefully this can be this can be something quite positive as Absolutely. well. Absolutely, especially for youngsters, isn't it? Especially yeah. for youngsters. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the kids at the end of the day, and you don't want them to. Nobody wants. No parent wants their kid to go through pain like that. No. Of course, of course. Another another you know big big thing in the news these days yeah. is the you know the whole um, Fujitsu. The, yeah. the you know the, the postmasters yeah, being yeah. being wronged as well. The the head of the Fujitsu, um, he's uh, apologized and he did. He said that and he admitted that they knew that they had uh, bugs and errors in the system, mm. but even then they they supported the post office in you know in um bringing court cases against the postmasters and post uh, post. Um, yeah. You say post mistresses? You say? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Not sure. But uh, yeah, and Probably. they've only now um, apologized after this whole series that came out on the BBC as well. Yeah. So it's, it's a bit late now, but at the same time, they you know justice is finally being yeah. being served. Hopefully, bit by bit, they will you know they they will also give compensation for the for the harm that they've also caused. Some have received uh, compensation as well. Oh, okay. But uh, it's not as if it's across the spectrum as well, across the board. But. Like you said, it's it's something that once they once once someone does wrong and once they get caught, yeah. that is when they say sorry. That's when yeah, they so apologize. They're, they're sorry that they got caught. Basically, sorry <laughs> that they got caught. They're sorry that they couldn't hide. Yeah. Um. Their the the little lies and they, despite the fact that they knew that there were bugs in the system, they knew something was wrong. But still, they went, they, and, prosecuted, they went and prosecuted. Yeah. Prosecuted exactly. And that's not just this. This is not the first time. This is something like this has happened. It's happened before. It's happened previously, and it is almost as if they are sorry that they are caught, sorry that they were caught, and not actually sorry because if they did actually care, they why, would have said it before. We yeah. would have said it before, isn't yeah. it? And they wouldn't prosecute. Yeah. 
Or, you know, it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult situation. Hopefully there is justice in the system across, across the board. French, French footballer Karim Benzema has filed a defamation lawsuit against French, French's, uh, France's France's, interior minister. Yeah. Interior minister. And that's because he accused him for having links with the Muslim Brotherhood group as well. This is what the local media has actually reported. Gerald Darmamain said on said in October that uh, Karim Benzema has a notorious link with the Sunni Muslim Islamist group, and because this this is actually quite detrimental for his uh, for his reputation, and it's, it should be understood that the Muslim Brotherhood, this sort of group, is actually banned in several con- countries, including Egypt, Russia, and Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, obviously, as you know, that is the country where he is playing football these yep. days, isn't it? Um, and that's uh, it's hurting his reputation. But uh, uh, Mr. Main's comment in October came after the player tweeted his support for the people of Gaza as a victims against of against of unjust bombardment, which spare neither women nor children. He's just, you know he's calling out he's calling out for Israel to you know to 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 have a ceasefire. He's calling them out that you know did. The Palestinians, they're facing a lot of trouble. The, the women, the children, and they are becoming victim of, victims of that. And they, he just went around and turned around and said, you know, you're linked to the group and uh, just hurt his reputation. It's just, it's just crazy, isn't it? It's what any any sane human being would do, but call for, you know, for justice and for peace and for, you know, safe haven for the people suffering in the war-torn country. Yeah. Um, but all of a sudden that makes him a kind of affiliate to a terrorist group so that's 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 crazy in itself it is it I mean, is what's the world coming to and when when you call to good even then you you call something uh defamatory something inflammatory as well yeah. one one thing that's that i did see was just a small headline is that yeah. apple's it has outsold samsung to take crown as the world's biggest smartphone maker mm, it's first time in 12 years as well. first time in 12 years yeah it ends samsung's 12 year reign as consumers bought more expensive handsets so that's a win for the for the Apple team, not for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's what it's what it's what you prefer, isn't it? It's what you prefer. Yeah. Some people prefer Apple. Some people prefer iPhones. Some people prefer Sam Samsungs, Androids, other uh, other Android devices as well. But uh, it's just each to their own, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but the first time in twelve years, you would expect that Apple would be taking the lead uh, for 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 a few for a few years. But for twelve years, um, Samsung was in the lead. Yeah. So it's you know, well, I mean, it it is what it is. A lot you of win people, some, you lose some. You win some, win some, <laughs> lose some, isn't it? It's, it's always an up and down uh, with them, isn't it? I mean, yeah. There are two giants uh, competing, and more or less, you know, if you look at the phones, more or less, it's the same phone that they release every single year. It's just yeah. a little bit. It's just a little bit different. Just, just to advertise it slightly differently. Advertise just slightly differently. That's exactly what it is. So but, we have yeah. our we're coming to end of this uh, segment, aren't we? So mm. we after the break. Now, I think I have to remind the 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 list, our dear listener that you know this is a call in show. So when we do get to our you know our subjects of international court of justice and if the human rights international human rights laws were broken, then do call in if you have any any opinions any views on this subject, and uh, we will look forward to listening uh, to your opinion as well. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Like you said, we're going to be taking a very short break and uh, right after when we come back, 
We're going to be going into this particular segment and it's going to be quite interesting. We're going to have a few guests as well in line who we're going to be speaking to and getting some more information, some detailed analysis in regards to this as well. But of course, uh, we're going to be taking a break. Don't go anywhere and do call in on 0208-687-7878. We'll be waiting for you as well. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Simplified answers to frequently asked questions. What is Dajjal? Prophecies about the appearance of the Dajjal in the latter days are mentioned in many Islamic traditions. Before Islam, some of the other prophets also mentioned Dajjal in their prophecies, and he is therefore known to the followers of these prophets too, but with different names. For example, in Christianity he is known as the Antichrist, and some descriptions about him are mentioned in the Bible. In all these prophecies, Dajjal is always described as a very evil and deceitful being, whose main purpose is to spread darkness in the world, to prevent mankind from establishing a spiritual relationship with the creator of the universe. From the Holy Quran and through the sayings of the Holy Prophet of Islam, وسلم, Muslims have learnt a lot about the Dajjal. This includes his description, the ways by which one can recognise him, and the methods of protecting oneself from Dajjal's deceit and mischief. Muslims are also informed about the means by which this Dajjal was to be defeated, where it was clearly indicated that Dajjal will be destroyed at the hands of the promised Messiah of the latter days. However, like all other prophecies, this information must be taken metaphorically and should not be expected to be fulfilled literally. Some people think that Dajjal is an individual person or a physical being, but it is understood from the sayings of the Holy Prophet that Dajjal is not a person but rather an assembly that will be the cause of creating corruption in the world. The Arabic word Dajjal is derived from the root Dal Jim Lam, which means to cover or to conceal. From this, it is understood that Dajjal is the one who falsely appears to be truthful and honest while hiding the true disposition of wickedness and mischief. The word Dajjal implies two connotations. First, it signifies a group which supports falsehood and works with cunning and deceit. Second, it is a name that indicates Satan, who is the father of all falsehood and corruption. As Dajjal spreads evil and causes spiritual destruction in the world, he will obviously attack Islam and attempt to ruin its true teachings. But since the Islamic teachings are perfect and final teachings from God, so it was God's promise that he will always protect these teachings. Hence, as prophesied by the Holy Prophet ﷺ, God sent the Prince Messiah of the latter days to destroy Dajjal and demolish all Dajjal constructions.
أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on The Voice of Islam Radio. As mentioned before the break, we're going to be talking about the International Court of Justice and uh, human rights in regards to this. Or were they actually broken by, by Israel or any other country? Legal consequences arising from the policies and practices of Israel in the occupied Palestine territory, including Eastern uh, East Jerusalem, as well. We're going to be talking about we're going to be talking about this. How the 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 UN Charter set an objective to establish conditions under which justice and respect for the obligations arise the arising from territories and other sources of international law can be maintained. Now, ever since the development of and respect of the international court of, court of or international law, it has been a key part of the work of the of the organization. The work has been carried out by many in, in different ways, in many different ways, by courts um, and the Security Council which can sort of approve peacemaking and they have this mission to maintain the peace or to establish peace as well. But it's something which, we spoke about this a little bit about this before as well, that the International Court of Justice, they have, if they do give their ruling, it's, it is up to the the nations to actually listen to that and adhere to that. If they don't, then they can face consequences, such as a civil war may happen, a coup may may happen as well. We've seen that happening in the you know in the past in different countries as well. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but uh, let's speak to our first guest, who's on the line with us, Yasmin Ahmed, who is UK Director of Human Rights Watch. She has two decades of experience as a public international lawyer and human rights advocate, and her current role. She is. Uh, she advocates for the United Kingdom's foreign and domestic policies to be consistent with human rights. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Welcome to the show, Yasmin. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Just talking about international human rights laws, just mm-hmm. for the benefit of the listener, what exactly, what exactly is that, and why were they made in the first place? Yes, uh, it's a very good question. So um, international human rights law was 
born out of the Second World War. So essentially the devastation of the Second World War meant that um, uh, states around the world came together and said that we never want this to happen again. And so what we're going to do is we're going to agree um, together on a body of laws which all countries will agree to and sign up to. And what essentially international human rights law does is it means states sign up to a treaty. It's, it's set out in treaties. And they sign up to a treaty. And the treaty says that these states will um, uh, essentially comply with certain obligations Hmm. in relation to it, their citizens. So we have international human rights will set out in treaties, and it says in those treaties that states uh, um, commit to treating their citizens in certain ways and, 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 and upholding their human rights. And that's what essentially international human rights law is. It's obligations on states that they themselves have signed up to hmm. to ensure that they will treat their citizens in certain ways and those that they have control over. I want to talk about if those human rights laws, if they, if they are broken, mm-hmm. what, what happens and the consequences of that as well. But just before I actually ask you that and get into that, just can you sort of briefly explain what the case at the International Court of Justice is about then? Yes. So one of the treaties that states have signed up to and that came and was born out of the Second World War is the Genocide Convention. And the Genocide Convention was obviously, um, you know, it was created after the, the, the aftermath of the, you know, the, the absolute horror of the Holocaust. Hmm. And states said, well, well, we'll never allow this to happen again and we'll sign up to a treaty which essentially says that we cannot commit acts which constitute genocide or incitement to genocide. And also, we will sign up to a treaty that, as third states that are not committing it, but are seeing it happening, that we have an obligation to do everything we can to stop it from happening. Hmm. It's lawful. And that also we will, if someone who's committed genocide enters our territory, we will also prosecute them as well. And so that's essentially what the Genocide Convention is. Now, genocide itself is a crime. Hmm. is one of the most significant crimes under international law. It sits alongside crimes against humanity and war crimes. It's a unique crime because it has an element of what what we call specific intent. Other crimes, you just need to carry out an act, and if that's proven to have happened, like a war crime um, or crimes against humanity, um, then that is sufficient. With um, with genocide, they have to specifically also prove that you have this specific intent to kill whole or in part a population of people. And so there is a specific element of intent that comes with genocide as well. So when we talk about genocide and uh, talking about the war which is happening right now, mm. is that something which uh, which nations are actually calling out upon actively, proactively, or is it something that they're hiding away or shying away from? So we see at this this case, so what South Africa has done in this case, just to sort of contextualise it, yeah. um, South Africa has essentially said as a par- state party to this treaty, we're going to bring a case before the International Court of Justice because it's the, 
it's the, it's a court which determines whether these treaties have in fact been violated. Um, so South Africa has alleged before the International Court of Justice that Israel is in fact committing genocide mm. against the people in Gaza. And they in, in their case before the International Court of Justice, they set out a series of um, many statements that they say that were that, that they say from uh, Israeli officials, which uh, prove they say that uh, Israel has a specific intent to uh, uh, commit genocide against the Palestinian people, right. and then they right. set out the acts as well. And they're asking the court at this moment to under to um, impose what we call provisional measures to do something quite immediate hmm. before the case is actually determined to stop that from happening. Now, what has the international community, other than this case, done? We've seen the fact that, you know, in terms of uh, uh, international actors, so we've talked about maybe in, uh, in terms of um, civil society organisations, UN bodies, hmm. they have called out Israel for committing uh, war crimes. Right. So we've seen that being Human Rights Watch has said that that. Israel is committing war crimes in Gaza now. We've said that they've committed, uh, they're committing collective punishment by not allowing any aid at all, any uh, humanitarian provision at all into Gaza other than a trickle. We've said that they're, they're actually carrying, they're using starvation as a weapon of war. We've also found that there's apparent war crimes that are being committed in terms of how they're carrying out their, their warfare that they're doing in terms of um, the attacks on hospitals and on uh, hospital vehicles like ambulances. Mm. We've seen UN bodies, we've seen the UN itself and UN bodies calling it out as well and calling for, as you know, a ceasefire as well. Um, but this is the first time that this, ish, th th this particular situation uh, will be brought before a court and obviously the court will be looking specifically um, at genocide. We've also obviously seen the UN Security Council, whilst largely deadlocked on the issue, we've seen it pass a resolution which was very, very watered down um, a, a, a few weeks ago, I think it was before Christmas. So we've seen some action, but certainly, as you, you know and your listeners know, no action which has been sufficient to safeguard the interests of the Palestinian people in Gaza who continue to be subjected to mm. severe violence, including war crimes and, as we know, uh, starvation as well. Exactly, exactly. I mean, when war crimes have been committed, and it's well spoken uh, about as well, what, what about those laws then? I just want to come back to that as well then, that when there are these international human rights laws, yes. and, if, yes. and if they're broken, then what are the consequences? Mm. Yeah, I mean, international. there's really unfortunately no silver bullet because international law is a system which is created by states and it's, um, it's, it's obligations on them and there's no international police force as such or, you know, body. There are judicial bodies, so there are courts, international courts, like the International Court of Justice and the International Criminal Court and cases on Gaza currently are before both of them. So we know the International Criminal Court is actively investigating the situation in Gaza now, um, as well as situ the situation in in uh, 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 the occupied Palestinian territories, 
uh, dating back to 2014. Um, the, the International Criminal Court, um, if it issues, if and when it issues a judgment in relation to specific uh, individuals, or because it, it hasn't yet, it's just in an it's investigative uh, stage at the moment. If it if, if it issues arrest warrants and it is able to get individuals before the court, again there is a massive problem about how do you get officials before the court when certain states do not are not signatories and do not want to comply with the court. So there are many, many obstacles to accountability at the level of international justice um, and international law. But but one thing that is good, we've seen um, happening around the world, is this what we call exercise of universal jurisdiction by states. So mm. what we've seen in relation to Syria um, and in relation, we saw it with Pinochet in relation uh, to the crimes that were committed in that context, is that states have been willing to exercise criminal jurisdiction over people who've committed these international crimes when those people come into their territory. But because it's Israel, um, and we know that states, including the United Kingdom, for example, have imposed special laws to ensure that there's immunity for um, Israeli officials when they come into their country, it is harder and harder to do that. But we have seen in the UK, for example, um, just yesterday, I think it was, um, a group the um, uh, have been working with Scotland Yard um, and Scotland Yard is now investigating uh, a number of British politicians and individuals in relation to potential war crimes. So there is the wheels of justice. There is investigations that could possibly give rise to accountability. It won't be fast, but it may in fact happen. I mean, Yasmin as well, well described that. I think there's a couple of things that come to mind after what you've just said. You know, it's um, in particular in this court, in this case, genocide in itself is notoriously difficult to um, to prove, isn't it? Because you have to show the intent as well, as you said, as you mentioned. So, you know, do you feel that there's any any hope of them of the of the case uh, being won? You know, by South Africa. Um. So the it, I think the 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 International Court of Justice has in fact found. A state has committed genocide in the past. Um, we saw that in the in a number of cases, but in particular in the uh, Bosnia, Bosnia genocide yes. case. Yep. Yep. Um, so that in that case, they found that Serbia had failed to take measures to prevent genocide, and we've also seen the court take prov- impose provisional measures, these kind of interim measures, um, both in that case, but in more recent cases, in a case taken against Russia by Ukraine and a a case taken by Gambia against Myanmar. So in those instances, we've seen the court taking action. It has not, though, in any of those instances, imposed a provisional measure which required the cessation of hostilities. So the question will really be now is whether and to what extent the, the, the court will impose provisional measures and if it does, what kind of provisional measures it will impose. Um, it may not go as far as what Africa is asking, which is essentially for the cessation of hostilities. It may uh, go, do, you know, impose something less lesser than that. Um, and as I said, I think it will take. It's likely to take two to three years for the actual case to be determined. Um, but uh, it has in the past found genocide, and in cases I would argue where there is less evidence. Of specific intent in statements of officials. I mean, I think that what's quite unique in this circumstance is set out by South Africa in the case is that there are quite a number of very clear statements 
by officials, which the court will yes, determine yeah, exactly. whether actually, in fact, amount to uh, genocide. I mean, just going to, to, towards the provisional measures that you mentioned, um, even if, for example, the ICJ um, actually implements them and says that you have to follow these now and they're legally binding, Mr. Netanyahu has already already said that no one's going to stop us, not the Hague, not the Axis of Evil, no one will stop us in our mission. So, I mean, when when you hear these kind of statements, as the ICJ, like, you're being un- it feels like the undermining is already there before even any verdict has been come to. So, like, what what can you do? Like, why is the ICJ unable to um, implement these, uh, you, know, you know, the ruling, whatever they have, whatever they do rule in the end? Well, you know, what's the problem? Why is there this um, this ability to be able to flee from the, the Court of Justice? So what will happen, the International Court of Justice will hand down its provisional measures, and you're quite right. There's no, sort of, as I said, no international police force to make a state comply. But however, this, this uh, provisional measure will be sent to the Security Council. Now, we know the Security Council is deadlocked because of the US, um, but it will also be the requirement of international international bodies and organisations more generally, including the General Assembly. Again, they don't have the power to force Israel. But who does have the power to force Israel or to put pressure on Israel is other states. And it will be a requirement of other states to actually put pressure on Israel to try and get them to comply with any judgment and provisional measure that's set out by the court. So, yes, there's no silver bullet, but what we would hope in in any provisional measure and judgment is that it puts a bit more pressure on states. And we know that really in, in realistic terms, there's one state in the world that can really stop Israel, that ha- that is providing Israel with the weapons it's and America, the yeah. and has the, you know, has the influence, and that's the United States, and to a very, very much lesser degree, the UK, but really it's the United States. This is a provisional measure is not going to uh, necessarily stop the US, but I think what it will do is make it harder and make it a little bit more uh, reflective and, and difficult for the US if there's been a Im- provisional measure imposed. Um, and it continues in the face of that to uh, provide provision to Israel to continue this, what it's doing and committing the crime that if, if the court in fact finds that. So I, I, there is no civil bullet, but no. I think it will, it's an important thing to happen and it will hopefully have some form of influence, even indirectly. Yes, I mean, I know we've taken a lot of your time, but I have just one final question. Of course. And, um, and that is... In terms of, you know, some people are saying that even if Israel do not win this, uh, if they, if they, even if they get away with this and win the case, um, they say it's still a kind of a win for the Palestinians in the sense that, for the longest time, they've been calling for for this kind of action to happen, and now finally Israel is in court for um, the alleged war crimes against the Palestinian people. So, what what are your thoughts on this? Um. I think essentially it's very, very important that this issue is litigated before an independent court and the ICJ is the apex court of the United Nations. So I think it is it is really important both for the purposes of the international rules-based order, but really important for the situation that we're seeing in Palestine. We're seeing atrocity crimes that have been committed and continue to be committed. Um, and the fact that this, issue is being litigated and is going to be determined by the most seen the most you know the, the most superior court 
of the United Nations is very, very significant. And I, I think that, you know, certainly from a human rights watch perspective, we welcome the opportunity for this court, for this decision to be heard and for the court to make its determination. And I think for the purposes of the Palestinian people who continue to be subjected to this significant violence um, and these atrocity crimes, it's very, very important that the world and international community is also um, able to see that and hear the case before the court. Um, so, yeah, we're very, we very much welcome the case being heard by the court. Thank you very much, Yasmin. It's been great speaking to you. Uh, it's been an honour. Thank you very much for joining us on the show. Thank Back you very show. Much Peace be upon you and have a lovely rest of the day. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you. So that was uh, Yasmin Ahmed, who is the UK Director of Human Rights Watch. Um, you know, but even prior to Human Rights Watch, she, she was an executive director of the multi-award-winning human rights organization, Rights and Security International. And so I mean, she has a lot of experience in um, in this field. And it's it's clear that from what she has said as well, that, you know, it, you know the wheels are finally turning and Israel is finally in court. And there is a chance that, um, you know, they will be mm. prosecuted for the war crimes as, yeah. you know, it's flagrant. You can see that the war crimes are being are being um, um, violated, you can yeah, say, in, right, in Palestine. Yeah, exactly. But it will take time. Uh, you said it can take, get hit, can take a number of years, but hopefully the provisional measures will be adhered to if, if, they, exactly. if they are issued. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been, it's been really interesting it's been to, very to, interesting listen to, to listen to that as well. And obviously, we'll be, we'll be talking about genocide with her as well. Yeah. Uh, let's continue that topic with, uh, with our next guest, Anisha, Anisha Patel. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Walaikum uh, assalam. Good morning to you too, and thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for joining us. Talking about talking about or continuing this, as well, I'm not sure how much you heard of uh, how much we spoke to the previous guest, but could you just start off by telling us a little bit about the genocide conven- uh, convention? Well, the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide, as it's called, is a convention from 1948, so belongs to the post World War order. And uh, the convention, as its name says, was designed to prevent and punish genocide. So it's not just a punishment thing, but it's also a prevention thing. Um, And the convention divides uh, or defines the crime of genocide in two elements. Uh, One are the actions, obviously, and these include uh, killing members of a group, but also deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its destruction which we see extensively at the moment. Mm. Um, but the other component of the convention uh, outlines an intent to destroy a group. And this is something that has been a challenging uh, element in the previous uh, genocides that have been attributed so by the, by the different tribunals, one in Rwanda and uh, one with the International Communal Tribunal for Yugoslavia. Mm. Right. Because uh, intent is something really hard uh, to infer, um, but this time around, we have um, kind of seen this intent of destroying the Palestinian people, uh, the Palestinian people in Gaza specifically, but at large, uh, very, very clearly from um, Israeli decision makers and uh, officials from all sections of um, the Israeli society. And this is something that the convention kind of focuses on because it talks about the crime of genocide being the crime of crimes somehow. Hmm. And it distinguishes it from uh, war crimes and crimes against humanity with this specific intent. And this intent has been very clearly expressed this time around, unfortunately. 
It is. It is very unfortunate. Once genocide has actually, it's been decided by the courts that you know this is a genocide which is being committed. How quick then can the response be for to actually to actually stop that and make sure that that doesn't happen or escalate even further? Um, I mean, the fact that it's already in discussion, I think, is a great start mm. uh, because the court proceedings will take years at best if not decades uh, but like your previous presenter outlined uh, we we're waiting in for the provisional measures which means the provisional measures uh, and they should come around in the next couple of weeks at uh, at worst but hopefully next week at best uh, once the these are in um, they are legally binding so unlike the UN General Assembly resolutions, for example, which are not legally binding, provisional mm. measures from the International Court of Justice are legally binding, which means that Israel is legally bound uh, to follow them. Now, right. in case, uh, as is with all other UN um, entities, the enforcement mechanisms in international law are limited. Um, having said that, it's actually um, possible for um, South Africa to take this matter to the UN uh, Security Council for requesting compliance with these measures. So this is something that we can expect in the next couple of days, um, at least from the perspective of uh, preventing further damage. So talking about this, uh, because the news is uh, looming as well, what actions can the US or Israel take? Well, um, Israel, for one, can comply with the court orders. Uh, that would be a great start. Mm. Um, and in terms of uh, the U.S., for yeah. example, it um, already has been. There has been a case that has been brought to the federal court against uh, the president, the secretary of state, and the secretary of defense for complicity in genocide. Right. Because one of the things that the genocide convention outlines is also the crime of complicity. So you are complicit yeah, yeah. in the genocide. Uh, which means that if there is a ruling from the court for provisional measures, uh, this case that is going on at the U.S. federal courts gets stronger. The complicity is uh, in the forms of material complicity, so supplying arms and ammunition and subsidies for arms and ammunition and so on. But it's also for diplomatic complicity, so uh, diplomatically shielding Israel from the consequences that come upon a state committing a crime of genocide. So. Um, having a provisional measure from the court, but and, and in the long run, an actual decision, um, kind of designating or identifying, because hmm. it is the kind of genocide we strongly believe it is, um, would help in kind of bringing in accountability for obviously the state that was committing the crime, the state of Israel and its leaders, but also for the complicity that other states um, have kind of yeah displayed in this way. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Apologies for the time as well because the news is looming, but it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, Nisha, and uh, some you. good information from from yourself. Thank you so much. Peace be upon you and have a, have a lovely day. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much. Okay. We're going to be continuing this uh, after the news, so stay tuned.
أشهد أن لا أشهد أن محمدا You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. We're going to be continuing this topic a little bit more as well and uh, talking about the the atrocities that has been that have been occurred that have happened the 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 war crimes as uh, different leaders as different uh, courts as well are ruling out that war crimes have been committed it is genocide as well but uh, it is something which uh, which needs to be which needs to be stopped at the you know the, in the strongest terms as well Allah the Almighty mentions in chapter 4, verse 59 of the Holy Quran, Verily, Allah commands you to make over the trust to those entitled to them, and that when you judge between men, you judge with justice. And surely, excellent is that with which Allah admonishes you. Allah is all-hearing, all-seeing. I mean, sorry, I just wanted to just, just cut in there. It's a very uh, one of the key aspects mentioned in this is is justice in the sense that you want the right people mm. to be in in the positions of power to be able to judge between different parties, and when they are there, then it's their duty to to obviously carry out justice. Absolutely. And in this case as well, we see like you know is Israel being uh, is being tra- is being held to account for for the alleged war crimes. You can say. Uh, in uh, in Palestine because they're not proven yet, but you know everyone yeah. can have an opinion and everything about that what they see from social media, yeah. and you know a lot of people strongly feel that you know they have clearly been you know turning off the the water, gas, electricity, all these different things, mm. um, you know that all that stuff is clearly in in breach of these uh, international human laws, but you know this aspect of of justice in itself is something which even the the Caliph of the Ahli Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masrur the Alibi's helper, he's um, he's mentioned many many times. And in in, in twenty sixteen, he did say that mm. in terms of verbal proclamations, it is very easy to say that yes, we do desire the best for others. However, in practice, it is much more difficult and challenging. Wherever there is a conflict of interests, most people tend to prioritize their own interests and welfare over and beyond the rights of others. This is true at an individual level and also true at a collective level a national level today rather than selflessness sadly we tend to see selfishness most mm. people or nations prioritize their own rights and are quite willing to relegate and demean the rights of others in order to fulfill their own goals and ambitions i mean this feels like it's being said about this conflict right now yeah. but he continues and says that in terms of the muslim world it is because the leaders and the people have discarded the true teachings of their religion that they are now riven by bitter division and unrest. Put simply, the leaders have failed in their duties to protect their people and to safeguard their rights, and in turn, rebel elements have also deviated from what is right and just. Again, it just seems like such a time, a timeless uh, quote there from His Holiness, and everything that he said back then, it feels like it's just being fulfilled like today, 
in this day and age. Absolutely. Like when it comes to you know the conflict in in Gaza right now and the war there, because of the lack of justice and because of the lack of um, support, you can say from the from the Muslim leaders as well. The rebel factors are there now, and you see what Hamas have done. You can see what the you know the other jihad jihadist groups within within Gaza, mm. what they did on on seventh of October as well. We do, we do not condone the attacks at all, do we? Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, they've been let down by their own leaders, and you can see Israel have also then just they've got Taking their own vested interests, yeah, and exactly. you know they're going to look after themselves over and beyond the rights of you know their neighbors. That's that's a, that's a good point that you make there as well because. Despite the fact that you might be indifference with one another, that doesn't mean that you know you go out you go out there and do all that you can just to try and destroy them or cause them harm. There's another verse in the Holy Quran which I which I want to mention as well. It's, it's going to be talking about justice. Where Allah the Almighty mentions in chapter five, verse nine, "O ye who believe, be steadfast in the cause of Allah, bearing witness in equity, and let not a people's enmity." incite you to act otherwise than with justice. Be always just, that is nearer to righteousness and fear Allah. Surely Allah is well aware of what you do. This verse is telling us very, you know, categorically that if you even have differences in opinions, I mean obviously you you can't get along with everyone, right? True. There's, there are people that you will have differences about you will you you know you will have your own opinions they will have their own opinions which is fine but when that turns into hatred and when that turns into sort of you know you're you're different than me and you know I'm going to do whatever I can to cause you harm that is the wrong thing to do you you may have enemies which is also fine but in Islam it has been taught that even your enemies have a right you can't exceed those bounds. You can't. Just, you can't even in a state of war, when you're literally out there to defend yourself. Even then, you have rights upon your enemies as well. Even then, you have rights upon, you know, what the what, what you know what they do, what you can, how you can treat them. And that's something which is not being exhibited. That's the problem right now. That's the the Islamic principles are not being exhibited by exactly by a lot of people, especially um, you know you can say with Hamas as well, the with their actions. If the, those actions were in line. With the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him's teachings hmm. and those of the Holy Quran, then there wouldn't be this war today. There would, there be, because they would have acted with justice and they wouldn't have taken the hostages of, you know, women, children, people who are non combatants. Hmm. So, you know, this is something which uh, Israel is saying that they're trying to do is take back those hostages. And because of what Hamas have done and because of what they claim they're going to keep doing, um, you know, they have to keep going to destroy them all. And whatever cost that takes, you know, that's what it is. That's what we're going to have to do. That's what it and is. that's that's the problem because now that it's not their own people suffering from this, it's the people of Gaza, and that's that, and that's, that's a worthy and that's a worthy price for them. And so, I mean, that's the problem. They're not looking after the rights of others. Exactly. I mean, um, you know, this is the state of situation that we're living in. All we can do is to keep, you know, reminding people that, of the true teachings of Islam, mm. and you know, this is we we remind them how. Islam is not a religion of intolerance. Absolutely. We can definitely live in peace, like in the past, where the Muslims and Jews and the Christians, and even even the pagans of Mecca, they all and Medina, they they lived in in peace and harmony, and they had their pacts between them, and they'd protect one another's rights. These are all examples that we can follow, mm. and it's not. It shows that it's not impossible for it to happen once again. Yeah, it is absolutely one hundred percent possible. And like you, like you mentioned, well, you know, one thing that we can do is His Holiness, 
may Allah be his helper, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, is also, also always telling us, continuously telling us to to pray for pray for those innocent civilians, those yes. women, those children, those old people, those all those people who are civilians who are beco- who are becoming the victims of this, to pray for those people and to to obviously do our bit, which is raise our voices talking to the politicians, talking to the MPs, talking and raising our voices, writing letters to them and telling them, urging them that, you know, stop, stop the, stop, stop the, you know, the ceasefire. Make sure that that happens. Make sure that there is a ceasefire and an immediate ceasefire as well. There are different things that we can do living in, in you know, living in different countries and we can play our role as much as possible as well. We were fortunate enough to interview Susan Akram as well. Let's listen to that uh, to that interview. I'm privileged to be speaking to Professor Susan Akram, who's a graduate of the University of Michigan, Georgetown University School of Law, and also Oxford University as well. The research and publications focus on immigration, asylum, refugee, forced immigration and also human rights, civil rights issues as well, with an interest in the Middle East, the Arab, and of course the Muslim world as well. Asalaamu Alaikum, peace be upon you. Thank you so much for joining us. It's an honor and privilege to, for speaking to you. It's my pleasure. Thank you, for, thank you so much. Just to begin with, can you provide an overview for the benefit of the listener of the ICJ case against Israel, please? Yes, of course. So um, South Africa filed an application with the International Court of Justice against Israel based on the Genocide Convention. Uh, Now, both South Africa and Israel are parties to the Genocide Convention, and the convention itself um, places jurisdiction over disputes between any states over the Genocide Convention, uh, places that jurisdiction with the International Court of Justice. So it's the court that has the authority to rule on disputes over whether genocide is taking place uh, between any state parties to that convention. So that's the basis for which um, South Africa has brought this claim. And the application is really can be seen in two parts. The first is the request for what are called provisional measures, and that is uh, similar to what we call an injunction in the United States or a preliminary injunction. And that is a ruling before the court gets to the actual merits of the case, a ruling to stop uh, um, activities that continue genocide or carry out genocidal acts until the court has a chance to review the evidence and make a decision on the underlying case. So it was the request for provisional measures uh, that uh, was heard on January 11th and 12th. Both South Africa and Israel made their arguments on provisional measures um, on on those dates. Um, Each side had several hours of argument. Uh, So that's right now what's before the court and it's expected because of the nature of the request And of course, the first provisional measure requested is that Israel should immediately suspend its military uh, military operations in Gaza. Because of the nature of that, that it's an urgent request, the court is likely to rule very quickly um, on the provisional measures. If 
almost ironic how you know some some media coverage around the world, some nations actually didn't even portray the message or didn't even allow the you know the, the message of the of the South Africans to be relayed into their into their home countries. But as soon as it, as soon as it was the other turn, uh, the other side's turn, Israel's turn, they 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 had coverage for that as well. So on an international scale, when it comes to media, when it comes to how much this is propagated, the, the justice in this. What are the potential problems which are sort of occurring and surfacing with Israel and Hamas, the whole conflict on, on an international scale? Well, um, of course, this has huge ramifications because uh, most, because there are so many states, parties to the Genocide Convention, and if the court rules in South Africa's favor, it means that all uh, state um, members of the United Nations and particularly state parties to the Genocide Convention have to comply with what the International Criminal Court says. The ruling is binding. And it has what in international law we call erga omnis obligations. That means obligations on all states to act. And that's what the Genocide Convention is all about, that all state parties have a, an obligation to act to prevent and punish genocide. So the ramifications of this case are huge. Um, now, you know, what states will do is a separate question um, after this ruling. But, of course, the most powerful states have lined up on behalf of, of Israel, the United States, is a major supporter of Israel and is providing arms, weapons, uh, billions of dollars to support Israel. And so there is a rather Western bias in terms of presenting both what this case is calling for and the ramifications of it. Uh, so that's the best I can do in explaining uh, the media coverage of it, though, of course, in terms of, of alternative media, there is lots and lots of coverage and and. Uh, both sides' arguments are fully uh, were broadcast live and are fully available for anyone who wants to listen. Thank you for for that as well. When it comes to this uh, this court ruling as well, you, you said that it, you know it, it's binding. They they have to comply with it. Do you think that this would be uh, the outcome then in your in your expertise? That they will comply. Well, uh, it's unlikely that Israel is going to comply, uh, and that is because we have a record of uh, well over 50 UN resolutions that uh, it, uh, Israel has basically ignored. And that's primarily because uh, the U.S. has the veto at the Security Council and protects Israel every time there is a question of Israel's action at the Security Council. However, what's important, as I mentioned about this, is first of all, yes, the, the decision is binding, and that is because the International Court of Justice is the, court of the, United, is the highest court of the United Nations. And all states, members of the United Nations, are required to comply with any decisions of the International Court of Justice. So that's basically a um, an obligation as a, as a uh, party to the UN Charter comes with being a member of the United Nations. Now, states do 
uh, fail to comply with court decisions fairly routinely. Um, and of course, the International Court of Justice as recently as 2022 issued provisional measures against Russia for uh, the invasion of Ukraine. And Russia, of course, did not stop its uh, attacks on Ukraine as a result of that decision. But that triggered international criminal court action and, of course, the issuance of a warrant against uh, Vladimir Putin. So we can see the ramifications of a decision like this, even in spite of Israel refusing to comply, there will be ramifications by all of the states. Now there are more than 50 states that have declared their support for South Africa, as well as the organization of the Islamic Conference, which of course has um, uh, 50 states members. So all those individual states uh, can and should, in fact, must take action to enforce and implement the decision of the International Court of Justice. Interesting. That's very interesting. Isn't talking about the the people that are being affected, the civilians. Of course, the, the civilians of Gaza um, and and Palestine as a whole, they are the ones who are suffering the most uh, in this. Do you think that you know from this from this outcome, it can be sort of positive for them? Maybe they can have some sort of peace after this uh, after this outcome. Well, part of that depends on the strength of the order that comes from the international court. Now, the first provisional measure, uh, South Africa has listed nine requests for provisional measures, and the very first one is an immediate end to military to Israel's military operations in Gaza. If that is granted, and of course the provisional measures track quite closely what Ukraine requires. Uh, against Russia, which the International Court granted. So it would be difficult uh, in a case as strong as this one on the facts for the court not to order what it did in the Ukraine versus Russia case. Having said that, if it grants this first uh, request to stop all operations in Gaza, all states will need to take measures to enforce that. So placing sanctions on Israel, uh, starting their own domestic uh, prosecutions and issuing warrants against the Israeli principals who are prosecuting this war, including they can uh, also issue warrants against individual soldiers, but particularly against the politicians and the uh, defense force leadership this war. So it may not be immediate, and uh, but but it will it will happen because of numbers of states that are supporting this case. Absolutely, absolutely. And to, from an uh, from an international organization perspective, can these international organizations potentially uh, sort of intervene and resolve the conflict once and for all, or is that something which is you know sort of off the table or not something on their agenda? Well, there have been uh, a number of proposals, um, and of course, Qatar has been leading negotiations between Hamas and Israel on the hostage. But the Arab states are very invested in a, a durable solution for the Palestinian problem. 
Now, you know, in terms of what what they can do, for example, the Organization of the Islamic Conference or the League of Arab States as a block, if they decide to stop, uh, simply stop uh, any transportation or sending any fuel or oil to Israel, this war could stop tomorrow because you need fuel, you need oil to, yeah, yeah. Uh, to run the machinery, to run the tanks and so on. So there is, there has been action that they could have taken uh, even now to halt the uh, to halt this the killings. Uh, but hopefully, with a decision, a positive decision on behalf of South Africa from the international court, uh, they will be mobilized to uh, take more firm action and to insist that there be no more fighting until there are serious negotiations that include the Palestinians. Unfortunately, so many of the negotiations, uh, including the Abraham Accords, excluded the Palestinians. You can't have peace uh, about the Palestinian problem without the Palestinians at the table. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the, that's the thing. I mean, hopefully... Hopefully there is, you know, in the organizations, world organizations, international organizations, they come together and they do find a solution. And hopefully, you know, this conflict stops because obviously if it, if it doesn't and it spreads further, it can spread, uh, you know, internationally as well. Obviously, God forbid that happens. But hopefully there is some sort of solution and we can, you know, only hope and pray for the best as well. Brother Susan, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. So that was Susan Akram, uh, who we who we had the pleasure of speaking to earlier on as well. We'll play in a keynote address of His Holiness, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the fifth caliph of the promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper. And that keynote address was uh, on the on the October the twenty eighth in two thousand and sixteen at York University, Ontario, Canada. This was we'll listen to a a, a small. Little, uh, little clip of that. The Prophet of Islam, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, said that a person should desire for others whatever he desires for himself. I believe that this timeless principle is as true today as it ever was in the past. Certainly, Every person desires peace for themselves and to be saved from all anxieties and worries. Every person hopes that he or she has the means to live comfortably and without hardship. Every person seeks good health so that they can enjoy their lives free from pain or difficulty. Every person craves good standing in their community and respect of others. In a similar way, every government and every nation also seeks such prosperity. However, how many people or nations are there who truly desire peace, prosperity and success for others? In terms of verbal proclamations, it is very easy to say that yes, we do desire the best for others. However, in practice, 
it is much more difficult and challenging. Wherever there is a conflict of interest, most people tend to prioritize their own interests and welfare over and beyond the rights of others. That was His Holiness, the worldwide head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, telling us a little bit more uh, in regards to in regards to this uh, this this topic as well. Obviously, this there, we've spoken about this topic uh, on on previous shows, and uh, I'm sure that we will continue talking about this as well. Hopefully, like like we mentioned before, that the de-escal- that you know it gets less and less, and uh, the 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 war crimes. All those countries which are committing war crimes or alleged war crimes, they 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 stop that and it de-escalates as well, uh, or you know it deflates, and the situation gets better, especially for the civilians, especially for the victims who are living in who are living in Palestine, as well the the, the children, the mothers, the fathers, the the elderly as well. The, not just the Muslims, but the Christians as well, and any other person that's living over there. But obviously, what we can do, or one thing, what we can do is pray for those people and raise our voices for them as well. We're going to be taking a very short break, and right after, when we come back, we'll go into our next topic, which is about the Holy Prophet of Islam, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. When he came to the world, how did he? affect the world or what effect did he have on the uh, on the world of course it is an interactive show if you want to call in the number to call in as always is 0208-687-7878 we would love to hear from you uh, in regards to either either this topic that we just spoke about or if you want to talk about the next topic which is about the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him we'll take a short break and right after that we will go straight into it You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. With so many attacks on Islam and the Holy Prophet wasallam, let's set the record straight. He was a man of peace. He went through 13 long years of persecution for his beliefs. He was mocked and ridiculed, but he didn't retaliate because he was a man of peace. When he went to Taif to spread the message of Islam, he was pelted with stones until he was bleeding. Yet he did not retaliate because he was a man of peace. When he migrated to Medina, he established the Charter of Medina, allowing the Jews, Christians and Muslims to live together in harmony with full religious freedom because he was a man of peace. And after all the oppression that he faced, when he returned to Mecca as a king, he had the right and the power to punish every single one of them. Yet he forgave them because he was a man of peace. The Holy Prophet ﷺ said that, No white man is superior to a black man, no Arab to a non-Arab. Rather, everyone is equal. He freed slaves and taught to treat them as brothers. He did all of this because he was sent as the Rahmatul Lil Alameen, a mercy for mankind. Indeed, the Holy Prophet ﷺ was a true man of peace. 
to the Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB via the internet 24 hours a day. A new station, The Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with The Voice of Islam. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. As mentioned, we're going to be talking about the Holy Prophet of Islam, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, the Chosen One. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. When he came to the world, how did he affect the world? Obviously, there's so many different things, so many different aspects that we can talk about when it comes to the Holy Prophet of Islam. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And it's something, it's an ocean which has no, which has no boundaries, which has no end, uh, because there's so much that we, can, that we can talk about. Obviously, if it's, it's an interactive show, please do call in and tell us what you think, or if you have any questions, 0208-687-7878 is the number for you to call. Before we actually talk about <clears throat> the blessed character of the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, it's important to actually know or to understand what the situation was in Arabia at that time. Now, in Arabia, the people around Arabia, such as the Romans, the Persians, other other people from other dynasties and people from other places as well, territories, they used to think that the Arabs were the lowest of the low. Yeah, and they literally used to think that they they they're just they're just scum. They they they're nothing. Because, you know, a lot of them were illiterate. They did not know how to read or write. They They're were just uneducated. desert dwellers, yeah. There's a desert desert dwellers and they were just Bedouins. And their, if you look at their moral conduct, that was very low as well. You know, they used to, they used to have, you know, they, they used to have times during the day where they would designate just for drinking. You know, so some tribes had five different times where they would drink. Sometimes, a drink alcohol, of yeah. course. They will gamble and they will take pride in how much, you know, how much they're drinking. Take pride in how much, 
you know other bad things and other sins other vices that they that they that they the were, attitude uh, towards women as well and children exactly. girls if a girl was born they would bury it alive yeah. that kind of stuff that kind of stuff really as backwards well. uh, really really mentality. backwards and mm. the situation was very very dire and bleak and it was not a it was not a very a pleasant place to actually be especially if you were if you were a woman but at that time when it, it was almost as if all of the sins all of the vices all of the bad things that you can think about those people in arabia they were committing those things as well and this is why people around such as i mentioned such as the persians such as the romans the greek all these other people all these other nations they used to look at the arabs and they used to think that these are the worst of the worst people that can never be so obviously of course when mankind or when a people has gone so low as the holy quran says asfalu safinin that the lowest of the low if they if they if they if they are on that stage which is basically akin to to cattle right yeah. they're just eating they're drinking they're, they're having offspring that's literally what they what they're doing nothing else no higher purpose no higher life. purpose in in their life even their moral conduct was very low that is when allah the almighty said that you know now is the time for the best of mankind to to actually come and this is when the uh, when allah the almighty sent the holy prophet of islam the holy prophet muhammad peace, peace and blessings of allah be upon him <clears throat> to that particular area to the arab peninsula and and through him allah the almighty sort of uh, uh you, you know he evolved that sort of lower stage of mankind into a being into a into a people who were actually who 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 started acting upon good morals and their moral state became better and even more so than that they 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 had a purpose in life and from that moral stage they went on to a spiritual stage that spiritual that spiritual level and from that spiritual level they became godly people as well yes. so that transformation of the holy prophet of islam peace and blessings of allah be upon him was actually the countless of other miracles that we can actually talk about this was one of the biggest miracles um which you know which the transformation of the people i mean at that time. i think it's astonishing to to contextualize it to think that within the lifetime mm. of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him and just within the lifetime after he claimed prophethood actually so that's only a period of 23 years approximately <coughs> within that time he was able to change him so much that You mentioned alcohol, didn't you? And at the time, yeah. Yeah, the, in the early stages of Islam, let's remember that you know the Quran also the revelation of it took t- approximately twenty-three years. Yeah. The rest of his life after he claimed prophethood, yeah. and and so like there were parts of the Quran which were not yet revealed in the early stages of the, of Islam. Yeah. One of those was of also the injunction of you know the, pr- the prohibition of alcohol. Of course, yeah, yeah. So let's remember, dear listener, that even at the beginning, um, when God Almighty had not yet revealed that alcohol was prohibited. There were Muslims who were drinking alcohol, mm. some companions, but the moment it was revealed, I remember there has Hamza may Allah be pleased with him and other mm. companions as well. Mm-hmm. When they were drinking, they were, you know, they were almost inebriated with the um with alcohol. Yeah. They were given the the news that alcohol has now been prohibited God Almighty has said that, you know, this is not allowed. Mm. Immediately the pots of wine that they had um and they were drinking from they chucked them all on the on on the floor yeah, and they as if like the streets the were flowing yeah. with the with, with wine, with, with uh, wine. Well, yeah. 
the, you know that is the love that they had for the or the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and for the and for God almighty in fact because it was in obedience to him that they did that something that they would do like you said five times a day at, mm. at times something which is so an, an integral part of their society was something that they were so willing to just chuck on the on the floor that that quickly and that yeah. easily yeah. you know sometimes people if somebody tells us like um you know get rid of your car or get rid of the house that you have right now you know it's it'd be a difficult thing to do yeah or like you know go go travel to a far off place and start working there yeah without your family some people would have a bit like you know some hesitation, reservations yeah. or hesitation exactly. and think exactly. like you know what about this or what about that you know you take me time for this they'll find excuses for this but they did not find a single excuse the mm. moment that they they were told that is the incident that they just completely got rid of it they obeyed first and they you know your opinion comes later and that is the essence of obedience like mm. you know people say like maybe we should think about what what is he trying to tell us you know try to give you a like explanation or your interpretation mm. of the commands of uh, say of the prophet but that is wrong and that is what even the promised messiah peace be upon him and his uh, caliphs later on they have also explained that the true essence of obedience is uh, you know what the, what the holy quran mentions sami'na wa ata'na we hear and we obey exactly. the moment they hear they obey straight away and later on if you have questions you can ask those but don't you don't question first and then say oh you know okay now i'm going to obey because now i've understood it a bit better <coughs> that is you you're depriving yourself of the blessings of obedience in that sense exactly exactly and you know just like you mentioned you we have to bear in mind as well that it's not is all as if you're telling those people to 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 stop doing something that they were weren't already doing yeah. they were so much involved in that yeah. they used to even take pride in how much drunk they how much you know how much they have drunk yeah. and how drunk they used to get so for 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 that transformation to take place that was something which uh, you know literally only the holy prophet of islam peace and blessings of allah be upon him could have done and his spiritual sort of uh, awareness and his spiritual being was you know actually that made it happen made it made it possible for for his companions to have that sort of uh, you know 180s 180 switch yeah transformation transformation exactly there's there's one other aspect um, to this because mm. yeah, we've spoken about alcohol but religion itself mm. whatever religion they followed before was was idolatry yeah. they worshiped hundreds of idols like you know for different different days of the week or you know for different elements within different the within things, the earth yeah. they had yeah. they had different idols and they would worship those imagine being brought up as an idolater and you know these are all you know and you you're worshiping these hmm. statues or you know made you know wooden uh, statues or whatever it is Interpreted, and yeah. you're you're making sacrifices and you offerings to these to these deities thinking that they will you know they will help you in life the moment the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him came the one of the first things he he spoke about was that there's one god hmm. and there aren't all these 360 whatever how many gods idols they had in the kaaba at the time there's one god and he is the god of the whole universe and of all people and of all things he is all powerful he's not limited like you know some of these deities were they completely f- forsook everything that uh that they that they knew from before you know people mm. say like even if they see the truth for example if let's say somebody has seen the beauty of islam or the beauty of any other religion and you know they they've been brought up in an, in another society or in another religious background yeah it's even then sometimes it's difficult for them to say you know what um i'm going to give up everything because they're so enrooted in the in in these um cultural and religious habits 
that it's difficult for you to just let go completely yeah, because the yeah. impl- implication is that you will you may lose everything but the people of arabia the Meccans and the medina the, the medinites who who accepted the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him they didn't give any thought to any of that the moment they heard and the moment they they saw the truth they were willing to sacrifice everything for that cause I mean, if we've heard the very famous um, incident of Azar Abu Bakr, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, <coughs> who later became the, the first caliph of, the, of, the, of Islam. Yeah. When he was given the news that, that, some, that the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has claimed that he is a prophet from mm. God. Yeah. He said, and they were about to tell him, like, these are his claims and this is the proof that he's giving. Mm. He said, no, I don't want to hear any I of that. I don't want to hear yeah. any of it. Don't yeah. tell me them because yeah. I want to accept him right away. I know that this man has been truthful all his life yeah. and there is no way that this person could be lying now. All of a sudden just come out of the blue and just start lying to the whole world. No. So he goes, I accept him wholeheartedly. And this was the blessing that uh, we see later in his life of Hazrat Abu Bakr, may Allah be pleased with him, that he became the very first caliph, the very first successor hmm. to, the, to the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Absolutely. Just, just on that topic, just on that topic when you're talking about this uh, about idol worship, right? Yeah, it was one of those things which uh, even his uncle, right, uh, Abu Talib, uh, he, you know, he even <clears throat> after after long consideration, after a lot of years had passed, even then he called the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He mm. said that you know I have, I have ties, I have connections with the. With these people, with the Meccans, with he was the a chief. He was, he was one of the chief. high chiefs there. He was one of the high chiefs as yeah. well because his family was the Quraysh, isn't it? Yeah. And he was saying that you know, you know, your uncles are also saying, um, stop preaching a, this, stop, desist stop from preaching it. Yeah. This. Yeah. Exactly. They were saying, you know, we, we can, we can, we can let you, you know, we can let you pray however you want to pray, we can let you preach whatever you want to preach, but don't say anything to our idols. Yeah. Or don't say anything bad to our idols. But then the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, gave a very, you know, a very insightful and very beautiful answer as well. He said that even if you give, if you if you place the sun on my right hand and the moon on my left hand, even if I have that, I have all the possession in the world, I'm still not going to stop preaching this message. And whatever the truth is, if Allah the Almighty has given me the truth and he is saying that he is one, he has no partner, there's no such thing as idols, they are not gods, they are just mere clay or wood whatever you make them from i'm not going to i'm not going to preach i'm not going to stop preaching that and that was his level of conviction that you know there is only one god and allah the almighty is that one true god as well you know um you know one of the symbolic meanings of of the moon as well is that it, it's it's a sign for arabia so there's, there's there's been different um incidents within within islam where you know a uh, one of the wives of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that the, you know I saw the the moon falling into my lap, and that was that was all that was interpreted to mean that she will marry the king of Arabia. So imagine he's been offered even if he's offered the whole of Arabia and be- mm. become the king of that you know the sovereign ruler, even then he re- he rejected it. But in this day and age, we don't see that same uh, justice yeah. and you know conviction for one's uh, beliefs. Exactly. Uh, where you, know, you may be offered something, even money or whatever it is, power, mm. and people just mm. take it straight people away. Just take it straight they get away. sold. Yeah. Yeah. People get sold. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, let's speak to our guest who's on the line with us, Imam Raza Ahmed, who's a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Assalamu alaikum, good morning. For, for joining us, thank you so much. Talking about the Holy Prophet of Islam, 
peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Just before, just before he actually became a a, a prophet, or he was told by Allah the Almighty that he is a prophet from Allah the from Allah the Almighty. How was the society in in Mecca and Medina before that as well? So, I think this this uh, was the reason why he was sent to to the to the nation that he was sent to. You had all sorts of uh, immoralities, all sorts of vices, all sorts of um, traditions that were were nothing uh, or were f- far apart from from the values that we as humans value or cherish. For example, I mean one one of the common allegations today is against raised against Islam is about the treatment or the rights of women, right? Hmm. Now, it it would make more sense for people to think about this and to go back to the times before Islam actually came, how the situation for women was over there. Hmm. There are so many things that you can say, for example, uh, the inheritance, right, or just the right to interfere in in certain affairs and certain uh, matters. But one thing that when I read that, it it really... I mean, it it was something to think about. There was... If there was a mother, that mother had no say in the education and the upbringing of her own children hmm. if the father decided to go against her. She, she, she was not able to say anything. So basically they were regarded as, as, as cattle, they had the same value as cattle, hmm. or livestock, or personal property of men. Then you have the situation of slaves, which again was a part and parcel of that society. What happened with Hazrat Bilal, may Allah be pleased with him, what happened with so many other companions of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that were slaves at the time when they entered the fold of Islam. That's a story that everybody is aware of. Everybody can read about that in history books. Right. And then you have uh, problems of drinking, gambling. People were at war with each other for the pettiest of reasons. Yeah, yeah. And for a time, for such a long time that they even forgot why they were at war with each other. So this is like you know, second, third mm-hmm. generation fighting a war which their forefathers began and started. Yeah. And at one point, they were not even aware of why are we doing this war? Why are we fighting this war? So it was in a society. And, and I think the, the most important part was the concept of religion or the concept of God. So yeah. it wasn't just, okay, they had like maybe two gods or three gods. No. The Kaaba, which was built for the sole purpose of one, one God, of, of the one true God, yeah. by Prophet Adam, then re-erected by Prophet Abraham. The purpose of that building is the worship of one God. And now that building and the, the vicinity of that building was filled with multiple gods. The concept of one God was 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 non-existent in that society. Mm. Exactly. And that is one of the reasons why the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah, had to be sent. 
Talking about when the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was actually commissioned then by Allah the Almighty, those teachings that he that he was given to to preach to the to, to preach to the masses, to preach to the world, and what the the effect of that, how much that caused, and how much of a transformation that actually that actually instilled within the companions. Can you just tell us a little bit about that about that as well? You see, the, the Prophet of Sinai, the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community, has been the ulama within whom PC. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but he explained this phenomena or this miracle that happened in, in the desert of Arabia. And he said it was through the prayers of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that he was able to transform that nation. And not just that nation, when we, when we then move on in history. It wasn't just that nation, it was basically the entire world where his message reached up to. Hmm. And it was, he transformed those, the lowest of the low, and raised them gradually, up until the time where they became God-fearing people, where they became people that could connect and develop a relationship with God, a living relationship with God. Hmm. That was the change that he created. So when you have fornicators, when you have, uh, um, you know, all sorts, as I mentioned, all sorts of criminals, all sorts of uh, immoral people, listening, hearing, adopting, and accepting the, the message of Islam, not just in the time of the Holy Prophet, but the uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, but also for the generations to come. We see today, uh, even, that uh, people who are, for example, in prison, and they get to hear the message of Islam, that they they accept the message of Islam while in prison. Hmm. And that is a fundamental reason for them making a 180-degree turn. And the same case was with the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah, in his time. So you had staunch enemies, people who were after his life, not just property or anything, they were after his life. And when they heard about the the, the, the teachings, for the the most ex- prominent example probably is is of uh, Caliph Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, who became the second Caliph of Islam. Hmm. He set out one day to literally to end the life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Long story short, on the same day, he accepted Islam, hmm. and it was based on the fact that. God Almighty had revealed the Holy Quran to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And the message and the, 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 the content of the Quran was life-changing, was something that created that change in his heart when he listened to it for the first time. Hmm. And then, of course, you have the character of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, when, when he lived everything that was revealed in the Holy Quran, hmm. when he showed with his own practical example that I'm, I'm not just talking about these things, I'm actually going to show you that you can be forgiving, mm. that you can have mercy, that you can treat your enemy and your neighbor in the best possible way and give people their due rights, that you don't have to show your arrogance, to show your your you know, your know sta- status when you are talking to, to a servant even or when you're talking to a slave. Mm. And then freeing of slaves, giving people their due rights, all of these things, when they were introduced, of course they caused a revolution in the people. 
Of course, those who were in charge, like always, they didn't like it. Because hmm. now this was something that was giving people their due rights, and they did not want that. Yeah. So there's, uh, just have quickly get one more question in before we before we end the show. Um, you know, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, the fa- holy founder of our of our community, the Ahmadi Muslim community. He, him and his khulafa have explained on a number of occasions how, you know, the the advent of Islam wasn't just a religious. Um, a revolution, you can say, but it also brought about educational, financial, and even re- uh, advancements in research and science. Can you just give us, um, you know, just a little bit more information into this and a bit more insight into how Islam brought about these changes as well? So, again, very briefly, but when we look at, for example, social welfare systems, when we look at the the prohibition of usury, all of these things were created or were introduced by Islam to have a society which is based on certain values, morals, and principles, where even the the most unfortunate people, or those who were uh, at the very bottom of the society, that they were looked after as well. So you have scientific inventions, you have uh, inventions in medicine, you have uh, astronomy, and, and so many more that you can go on in, in detail uh, mathematics, uh, algebra, all of these things were based on the teachings of the Holy Quran. Based on the teachings, what I mean by that is that the Quran doesn't say, oh, this is something about math, or this is something about this and that. No, it was the encouragement to contemplate. It was this encouragement to drive yourself further and further and further for the sake of education. And then what the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that you should acquire knowledge. It's not an option for you. It, this is a duty upon you. You have to do it. And yeah. it's not just for men. It's for men as well as for women. And then he didn't even stop there. He said, if you have to go even as far as China to acquire knowledge, then you should do so. And that's the reason why the early Muslims and the early centuries of Islam, they had this drive, they had this passion to contemplate, to reflect, to go far, to seek knowledge. I mean, um, Abu Huraira, who was the one, just last thing that I want to mention, who would compile the narrations of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He would travel hundreds of miles, if not more, to collect one narration, one thing that somebody heard, somebody say, somebody heard, somebody say that this is what the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said. One, one liner, right? For example, this narration. Uh, Acquiring knowledge is, is a duty upon every Muslim man and every Muslim woman. If I was to travel all the way to, to let's say, Glasgow by foot to hear somebody say this so I can record it, people would say, you're mad. But this was the level of dedication that these people had. Imam Raza, it's been, uh, it's been a pleasure. I think it's the first time I've spoken to you on, on The Voice of Islam. You should come on The Voice of Islam more often, I think. <laughs> but please, uh, thank you very much for joining us on the show. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you and uh, have a thank great rest much. of the day. Yeah, thank you. So this was the subject of, um, you know, how the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, affected the world. I just want to end on a quick uh, quote of the day from the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him. And he says that, I have observed that there are many in this day and age who consider religion to be fanaticism and they do not hold any respect for it in their hearts. They claim that the dwellers of Arabia were savages and illiterate, that the Quran was sent down at the time proposed for for their needs. Now the world has advanced and this is the age of enlightenment. Now religion needs to be amended to suit the present times. But let it be known that religion is not some absurdity. 
Quite the contrary, real comfort of the world and salvation in the hereafter are bound upon, are bound up with this religion alone. So this was the quote of the promised Messiah, mm. peace be upon him, who explained the importance for religion even in this day and age. You know, it's been a pleasure to speak to you, um, Shajil, on, on these subjects. We could Likewise. we can continue on the subject for many shows, but many shows, we yeah. must end it here. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the news is looming as well. We must conclude the show, of course. Thank you to all of the guests who took time out and spoke to us for for today's show, and of course the producers Hania and Khola, the researchers Hanan, Ashraf, Arisha, Maida, Mehrish. Thank you to them, and of course the technical department. And uh, like uh, likewise, it's it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to to present with you, brother Nuruddin. Until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.